Hello, we are back um, and we have a special guest with us today. We do. So I might just, before we let her speak, (laughs) (laughs) that's her chuckling in the background. So we have Melissa Eachin and Melissa is an accredited practicing dietitian and PhD candidate from the University of Wollongong. PhD, not ever. I know. Never will I ever. (laughs) (laughs) She's also a mental health dietitian with Keeping the Body in Mind. Um, Now that's located at the University of New South Wales and she's currently on extended maternity leave. An NSA registered nutritionist and a former dancer and teacher, having completed a Master of Nutrition and Dietetics, a Bachelor of Science in Food and Nutrition and a Bachelor of Arts Dance with a Bachelor of Education. Like the eternal student. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I do, I really love how they all have that connectedness and yes, relationship to each other. So her PhD research explores nutrition and mental health with a focus on weight neutral approaches, eating behaviour, disordered eating and weight stigma. And beautifully, she's also a new mum for baby girl, currently navigating the mum work life juggle. <laughs> so welcome, Melissa. We are so pleased to have you. Um, as we always start, what's the best thing you ate this week? Oh, I don't know if this is a bit of an odd response, but I actually had a stomach bug last week. And so I had, you know, all I felt like was dry toast. So my yeah. most kind of best thing this week has just been like flavor. It's just <laughs> nice to have kind of regular food back and want regular food. Yeah. So <laughs> everything this week has been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you haven't been able to eat for a while, I'm being unwell. I reckon even that first piece of like buttery Vegemite white bread toast. Is yeah, that, oh, that flavor. That's so, yeah, yeah the salt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry that you are unwell and I'm glad that you are feeling better. Um, so you. we just figured out that we met in 2019 um, when we came down to Uni to do our sort of um, weight-inclusive care, non-diet um, lecture to uni students. And when we ask who has heard of health therapy size or weight neutral dietetics, little hand went up <laughs> before I think the first time and it was you sitting in front row ready to go. So I'd love to be super keen beat. And then we sort of stalked you afterwards. We're like, hey, she's got this massive like Instagram where she's doing this weight neutral stuff already. How has this happened? Um, <laughs> so I guess we would love to hear from you. How was it that you, I guess, ended up in dietetics um, and that by your final year in dietetics, you already had a pretty good handle on Oh, weight stigma and weight bias and that sort of inherent that phobia in dietetics. And we're like, oh, I'm going to do this differently. Mm, yeah, I feel like my story starts from a very common place of disordered eating. Ah, yes. and, <laughs> um, <laughs> I did used to be a teacher and also kind of was a cheerleader and grew up in that dance space. And so I was surrounded by a lot of disordered eating, but just didn't know that it was disordered eating. It was kind of just normal. The messages were reinforced constantly and I just thought it was normal. So it it kind of started in that place and that's what sparked my interest in nutrition. And then that kind of prompted me to apply for my first master's bachelor degree in nutrition and food. And I suppose when I started that degree, I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to get the answer to everything. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, story. yeah. <laughs> if I just know all the information, I'll be able to do it perfectly and all my problems with food and body will be solved. Have you seen <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, exactly um, that. You know that Kung Fu Panda? 
not, I don't think it's a spoiler, but when he pulls the scroll out and it's like blank, like, and there's no secret ingredient, you know, I feel <laughs> like that is dietary. Exactly it. So exactly it. Oh my gosh. It just so is. And I feel yeah. like I learned that pretty quickly in the degree. And even in that first year when you're doing kind of, cause I didn't do science in high school. And so it was kind of my first introduction to kind of core chemistry and biology and when I started those subjects, I really did start to realize quite quickly that it actually was more complex than like what the blog said and what, wow. you know. <laughs> Let's move more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I, I really started to question it pretty soon on in my bachelor degree, to be honest with you. And social media at that time wasn't what it is now with the non-diet space. There weren't people talking about it like they are now. So I don't really know where I kind of started to get that different perspective from, but it was definitely just from reading different things and seeing things on social media. And as a part of that degree, I had to do placement. And so I actually sought out some dietitians and one of them was working in the non-diet space. And that was kind of an incredible experience to have. And she introduced me to Fiona Willer's book, The Non-Diet Approach for Dietitians. And so I kind of already had that exposure in my undergrad and read that from front to back. And it was just like, this is amazing. Why haven't they mentioned this once in my undergrad degree? Um, And then I also did placement as a research assistant with an incredible researcher. And that, I suppose, even though it was in the field of mental health and not kind of weight neutral care or non-diet approach or anything, even dietetic related, um, it kind of just showed me that there was so much more to everything and just to kind of think deeper and to, you know, critically think about things and just kind of open my eyes to that complexity that is health. And so then once I started my master's degree, I kind of already had that as a base and was already starting to kind of feel frustrated by a lot of the weight centric messages. And I did kind of find myself go into that fight or flight mode. And I just thought I need to just calm this down and kind of just approach it from curiosity because that's just where we're at right now. Like I can't. And really need to find that common ground of this is well-intentioned. Um, and it is from exactly. people having been taught through a particular lens where if you look at the research through those lenses, it is fair enough to come to the conclusion that you come to. Exactly. Um, to zoom out. I think that episode of um, Fiona's podcast, Stuck in a Weight-Centric Operating System, really helps sort of dig in of why is it that you can get these sort of clear-cut results in the weight centric way of looking yeah. at things yeah um, 100%. and then you start pulling the threads a little bit go oh okay <laughs> if you start with this viewpoint you ask the question from this viewpoint the answer looks like and you hide the stuff that doesn't quite make sense really really deep in your subconscious <laughs> in your water. Yeah, exactly <laughs> pop it in some of the appendices at the end of the research um, yeah exactly completely that and I feel like you know, I really enjoyed my master's degree. And once we got into kind of the more medical nutrition therapy, it wasn't really weight centric with a lot Mm. of topics. And then having, you know, as you mentioned before, the both of you came to present. So we had kind of, you know, exposure and were able to kind of have those discussions. Um, How good everyone was handed that book. Well, the last time we did our presentation, there was one of the students that just, you could just see like 
almost like a ghostly pallor. And then she just went, well, what's the point? When we'd gotten to the end of the um, and the evidence around basically we don't have a safe way of making life real small people and here's the likelihood of someone with a, in a larger body ending up in a smaller body and here's the level A of it. Like we just got so much. Um, and, yeah, that's when she was like, what's the point? I'm like, oh, good. I'm glad you should Let's stick around then. for part two. <laughs> because, she, yeah, like how many people are like, oh, no, what have I done? Completely. And I, I had that kind of own thought myself because when I finished my undergrad, I didn't think I was going to go and do dietetics because mm-hmm. I had my own vision of what a dietitian was. I kind of wasn't at that space yet where I, you know, understood medical nutrition therapy and I understood the breadth of it and how it would all connect. So I was like, do I really want to go and do that? And thank goodness yeah. I did because thank goodness. Well, years ago, we, we did I think, did we do it twice at Newcastle? Yes. Yeah. And there were, you know, I think the first time we did it, like three students came up and they were nutrition students and mm. they had like, no, we're not doing dietetics. Had already put in their intention to wow. not continue, and to not, then, not turn it from the three-year undergrad to the four-year. Um, wow. And they changed. They were like, oh, like now I know I can do it in a way that feels authentic and in alignment with my values. And, and that like, is a way that I could actually practice and it shows the impact that you both have by going and doing those talks because I know that I've got friends and now colleagues that had the same kind of experience when you have come to present at their uni unfortunately didn't have us back after that because we (laughs) (laughs) we've done it for free two years in a row and then we're like yeah. Yes. Me too. 100%. Like literally three students who were going to leave your university. Just giving you money. Stuck around. We're just giving you thousands of dollars. Yeah. Exactly. Unfortunately, no. Oh, that's really. <laughs> and it shows, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wollongong, no. really, in New South Wales, is the only university that includes any, like, non-diet content. Genuine non-diet content. Where's my mind? Coming out of, I've, I've had a few spies um, over the years in a couple of other degrees <laughs> and they'll just sort of send me a photo of a slide that a presenter who clearly doesn't actually get the full understanding of what the paradigm is and what it means and where it sits in the bigger picture mm. of weight stigma. There was one and it was a slide and it's like got um, beauty at any size, maybe, health at any size, no. I'm like, this is oh not about beauty. God. This is not about beauty standards. This is this is actually about effectiveness yeah. and safety and informed consent. Um, so they've had so they so they think they're teaching it and they're not butchering it. Like it's it so like the comparison between so the New South Wales courses compared to mm-hmm. Queensland and oh, Victoria. Victoria in particular, yeah, Victoria, yeah. yeah. It's um the yeah sort of Sydney, Newcastle. Who else is? Oh, New, New South Wales is a new course. Yeah. Know, they're not so up and running should now. re-put <laughs> the fingers out. Yeah. And... Around Sydney. Yeah. It's really concerning. And it, it, that, I've seen quite a few articles come out recently and, I mean, it happens in research all the time where there's this dis- disconnect. So all the right words are being used but the meaning behind yeah. the words aren't correct. And I just, that's so much more dangerous than just coming out and saying that, you know, yeah, say you don't and you haven't looked into it, you're not going to teach it. It's you, yeah. know, you disagree with it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Don't yeah. come in and yeah, I totally because agree. Because the same that. standards wouldn't be applied to, you know, if you're if you're looking at like liver disease, for example, like the same standards wouldn't be applied to other clinical areas or other yeah, areas yeah, yeah. of dietetics. So I don't know why the same kind of rigorous nature isn't applied 
to this topic either. Everybody knows is the reason. Yeah. Um, we, spoke, <laughs> we spoke to um, Alicia Edge from Compete Nutrition, mm. um, a dietitian a few weeks ago, and um, had that sort of everybody knows discussion around like performance and body composition, mm. which is just this widely held belief. Um, and she said, oh, how many studies do you think have actually looked at body composition and performance? And we're thinking it's got to be thousands given. Yeah. How big the field of sports nutrition is. It's got to be huge. 29. What? Ever. <laughs> Ever. 29. Yeah, and most of them haven't found an association. If that doesn't scream like what's, you know, the systemic issue is, yeah. then I don't know what does. It's just ask any, ask any PT <laughs> and they yeah. will say it's the Absolutely. thing. Totally. And I think that's, you know, for dietitians, we go into the degree having actually absorbed all that cultural, everybody knows thinner is better. Everybody knows people Absolutely. should be able to be in a boom of 20 to 25 and all of that stuff. And so when we get a pushback on it, most likely we're going to get defensive. Um, yeah. And I know that was my reaction when I first heard about the idea of a non-diet yeah. approach and I was like, hmm, that can't be right. But I was like, yeah but I've actually got to go and investigate it. I'm not as you know, can't be evidence basically like, just not going to look at that evidence. I'm not going to yeah. listen to it. <laughs> no, I'll just take you on. Um, and even that. now I keep, we keep going back, re-engaging, making sure like it's, um, it's not a set and forget. Oh, completely. Constantly, constantly learning. Mm. Oh, you're in the depths of it. And you are. So tell um, us, can you tell us about your research? Yes. Well, it's actually really exciting because yesterday I just pressed submit on my systematic <gasps> review. <laughs> oh, congratulations. <laughs> that was started in 2021 um, with some delays just because I had a baby. But, you know, <laughs> just it's a very time interruption. <laughs> it started out, um, you know, I wanted to do intervention and observational studies and then it, there's, you know, you're talking about the review that Alicia was talking about, there's 24 studies. Well, I had an inundate. Like, oh, there were so yeah. many studies that I've identified from the observational standpoint. And so I ended up having to cut it into two reviews. So just to give, I have 86 studies that looked at either intuitive eating, mindful eating, or eating competence. So, I mean, okay. I think that was, you know. Yeah, pretty, I think well, I wasn't I think expecting that many. Like recent, like it's not, wouldn't be going back. That was going back from the start, but I actually don't know what the earliest paper mm. is. I should look that up. Just Well, I remember being extremely frustrated when I discovered how early some of the early intuitive eating oh my gosh. were and oh, even recalcitrant stuff and going, why was this not in my degree mm. at all? Not even as a, here's a weird theory that some people are starting to think you might want to read into. Like it was just not, just not even considered. No. And I remember being shocked. Like, I think it was like, hang on, that was before I was born, that research. <laughs> oh, my gosh. On a, yeah, it's just that's something that in the observational studies I didn't find that, but in the intervention studies because I also searched that. So basically I looked very broadly for weight-neutral approaches and a broad kind of wide range of health outcomes. I didn't want to pinpoint it. And so it kind of brought up everything that was out there. And the intervention studies, yeah, like there's non-diet approaches in the 90s that are getting applied where the conclusions of the studies are saying, you know, we need to take this on board because in inverted commas, like, you know, 
um, weight loss doesn't work and diets don't work and we need to kind of think deeper about this. There wasn't so much talk about kind of the weight bias and and weight stigma in these yep. particular studies. It's more just about how diets don't work. Um, but, you know, 90 studies doing yeah. it. I'm sure it goes earlier than that too, but I just thought how, how you know, how is it, have these just been swept under the rug? Oh, God. Yeah. Just, the research is there from however many years ago and it's just not being translated into practice. Mm. I feel like social media will actually, that's what it will actually help with in terms it's of right. translated into practice just because it will start the discussion. Even now over the last five years, the discussion has increased so much. And so you could share research on social media now, not just within research circles where um, that kind of. have to physically have a magazine like journal exactly hands to read it yeah so many yeah. things and people are, yeah and then I guess if it is then accessible to people who have been you know going around and around that diet cycle for years and the only answer has been well you're doing it wrong or you're there's something wrong with you you should try harder you should try something different they're able to go oh I don't yeah. have to pursue weight loss to be able to pursue my health values pursue and, my health exactly um, which 100 People will listen. People listen to people's stories, uh, so that will hopefully be part of the change as well. That's what I really hope. Because even you know, with intuitive eating, like when was that first? When was the first edition of the book? I feel like that was like eighties. Eighties. So eighties, and I might be making that up, but I feel like I've listened to Evelyn around talk, that time, and it was like, oh, that, that was in the, that was before I was born moment that I might have had was when she was talking. Um, Let's. I'll. I'll. I'll check that out. Google one. Oh, you yeah. check. 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 I'll check. look it up. <laughs> but anyway, a long time ago. Like it's not. It's not new. New. Not new. Exactly. So I feel like that was something that kind of my research has already opened my eyes to. Um, just kind of seeing these studies saying the same thing from a long time ago, and it just hasn't translated yet. So. Hopefully we can, you know, there's a lot of amazing researchers out there doing things right now in the space. So hopefully that will just continue to change. Yeah, 1995. 95. So she must have been talking about the stuff she was doing. Uh, but also, like, what? how long does it take for you to be working in the space before exactly. you're done yes. and to write and publish? And then develop the principles. A, exactly. Publish a pick it up. Yeah. So, true. yeah. That's that doesn't happen overnight. So no. years and years before that. And then the original book. <laughs> I'd love to go to the original one and then see kind of what the references were in that book. Mm, yes. They're referenced. Yes. Well, there's a great episode. Um, I'm sure she does talk about something happening in the 80s. Um, mm. on Food Psych. Episode 73. I will put it in the show notes. Um, that sounds like you've referred to that. So many times. We <laughs> Every dietitian um, who just sort of wants to start to have a think about this, it's just my go-to. Mm. Evelyn Tribbley talk about yeah. where they came, what this whole thing was, because um, mm. it's just so, so helpful. But even in Ellen Satter's first books, like she talks mm. about her own experience as a dietitian and how unsatisfying it was, and that was what took her into becoming a therapist, mm. the idea that I know better if I tell you to do the thing that I think you should do, I mean, you should just do it and then everything <laughs> will be fine and you will be, you know, and, of course, that doesn't work. And, you know, so even her sort of 
um, approach to like that sort of honoring the body signals and things like that um you know it's not I don't know it's not entirely weight neutral because it does have that sort of assumption that body weights will sort of drop but there is this like bodies do come in all shapes and sizes and what's normal for this body yeah is and one of what's the, normal for that body one of the first principles is you know trusting yes and supporting your child to grow into the body they will have yes that is um, true that is true yeah it. yeah so even though it's not explicitly you know again around not not including i suppose the social justice side of things mm. as, as yeah yeah so what is your research about so you're looking yeah. at nutrition health <laughs> don't use this review so what are you what i guess what are you trying to research find question. out yeah what are you trying to find sorry out? i did not answer that before when you asked you got excited sorry. about your systematic review i so. did yes <laughs> this is what happens <laughs> Um, I mean, like any researcher has can kind of continue to evolve since I even started. So the studies, you know, you have to put in a proposal with your studies and they remain the same, but it has kind of evolved. But I'm looking at weight neutral approaches, but more so in relation to mental health. So kind of, I suppose, go skipping to the end and what I hope to come out of it is to really influence that mental health practice. And influence guidelines and role statements and you know how we work with mental health consumers and and bringing and introducing that thread of a weight neutral approach and um that's kind of I suppose I don't need to remember more on that that's kind of the end goal hope and so I suppose my PhD works are looking at all different topics related to that so I've got a study that focuses more heavily on disordered eating and mental illness and mental health and then I've got another study um, which is explored the lived experience voice of weight stigma but specifically in mental health practice so that was a survey that had kind of qualitative responses Um, And then my review was kind of starting, meant to kind of start the PhD, introducing me to what's actually out there in, well, not introducing me, but introducing the PhD and providing that context for what's already out there in this space. And so I looked at mental health outcomes and wellbeing outcomes as a part of the review and how they kind of related to these approaches. And I think, Susan, you brought up something before that has been a challenge where, you know, in terms of defining what is weight neutral and it's really difficult in research because we look at intuitive eating and it's weight neutral but you delve into the research and it's not always used within Mm. a weight neutral context and mindful eating at its core if you look at you know mindful eating questionnaires it is weight neutral but it's often not used as a weight neutral approach and same thing with people still use weight change or weight loss as a an outcome outcome. or yeah Mm -hmm. and a goal um so I've managed to kind of escape that a little bit in looking at observational research because I've been able to focus in on the actual validated questionnaires and so I've kind of gone through them and there's no questions related to you know motivation to change weight and that kind of thing so I've been able to at the, as best I can call them weight neutral in that context. But it's yeah. it's so hard because you're working, like we were saying, research goes back to the 80s or 90s, but so does kind of weight centrism. Oh, so, totally. Just, yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's so really hard needed. to define. Mm. So needed. I was, um, I was talking to a client just this week and they have a teenager who's recovered from anorexia 
has anxiety and is medicated for that and the medication potentially is causing some weight gain mm. and the psychiatrist so this teenager psychiatrist is wondering out loud whether ozempic would be a oh, good idea no. i know and i'm just like and this like what <laughs> i just can't even comprehend no. all, the, all the like you know just yeah and so so fortunately this this young person is actually quite okay with the change in their body size and well they recognize uh, if this is what needs to happen for me to be happy and functional they know you're like how does a teenager get that more than mm-hmm. like a well, definitely through ending up in the depths of anorexia nervosa yeah and realizing yeah. how yeah. bad that yeah is. that's right and it shouldn't take that it shouldn't it should not take to- that no uh, trust of your body mm. <laughs> far out but oh yes. my gosh some of the responses in my survey yeah, what have you found really like I've had to kind of read through them slowly because I it's just it's a lot and you know there's some common threads coming up I can't really speak about it too much yet because I haven't done the analysis on it to kind of sure. confidently say what themes are and get your back when you're done <laughs> yeah 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 sounds great but just some really, you know, what you just shared then, Susan, stories like that constantly, yeah. um, blaming, you know, mental illness on someone's weight. And if you yeah. lost weight, then your mental illness would go away. Like kind of that kind of horrifying, hor- it's just horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll see an association between, you know, being a higher weight and spending more time on a computer games um, and be like, well, yeah, <laughs> you're being that. April was in a larger body. And online is the only place where people aren't judging them for their size. And so it's more comfortable and calm, you know. Yeah. Exactly. To be there. Yeah. And it was actually nothing wrong with it. wasn't their body, it was the experience of living in that body in a world that tells you you don't belong here, there's something wrong with you, or teases you or bullies you, that then sends you into more isolation or onto onto online. Yeah. Like every time I've been at a teenage um sort of information sessions and sort of bring up these associations around weight and depression and weight and these I'm just like yeah well it's really hard to not <laughs> to, to go through going the world um and of course that's going to impact young people's mental health exactly and it's just not as straightforward it's not a straight line as this is no, not a straight line. no and even medically you know there can be an underlying biological metabolic change mm-hmm. that causes this thing like raised cholesterol and this thing weight increase mm. but like drawing a straight line between those two outcomes and saying right well, if you do the weight loss your cholesterol will go down well, n- not necessarily mm. it's like correlated they happened at the same time for a common underlying reason this is the thing you need to be looking at because yeah the raised cholesterol is concerning is it like male pattern baldness and heart disease yeah yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't think give someone plugs and yeah. that'll reduce yeah, exactly the oh there you go it's yeah, yeah, not yeah. necessarily related was it the um i think in one of it might be a food psych podcast i can't think of who the guest was but they're talking about smoking and lung cancer and smoking and like yellowed teeth mm. you don't get teeth whitening mm. to reduce your risk of lung cancer <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, exactly. yeah and that highlights another issue in research too which i've even found through my review and that's just researchers don't control for different factors so they don't yeah. look at you know what could actually be the influencing factor here or what could be mediating this or what 
what else is at play it's just kind of drawing that straight line between the outcome and weight and then oh well then it must be weight but not actually looking at anything else in yeah, between yeah it's and, that lens. and then the simple conclusions of well lose weight and then completely disconnected from all the research we have around well if you don't have a safe and effective way of doing exactly. that and the most likely outcome of intentional weight loss is weight gain from baseline so that's not a very useful recommendation exactly and then the studies that kind of find you know one kilogram of weight loss but then you go to their conclusions and they say that it was successful and that the participants maintained their weight loss and it was one kilogram over six weeks (laughs) and then no follow-up did you weigh them did you weigh them in the morning one time and in the evening the other time exactly it's just you know yeah. horrifying again I've used that word a few times but <laughs> it really is yeah, it really is it is um well I know from when we were catching up um a while back that you found some other horrors um <laughs> in being a new mum and the pressures and the predatory nature of so sort of, I guess the diet diet industry in that space um mm. that was something I also wanted to touch on today so let's like do a little yeah. just on horror um, yeah just on that's my little segue horrifying. there just the word horrifying uh, <laughs> <laughs> word of the day word of the day <laughs> so what um yeah so what what did you find I imagine it was fairly similar but worse than when I had had my children mm. I had my children just as social media was starting, um, mm. where it's quite different now. So yeah. the good, bad, the ugly, um, what has it sort of been like in that sort of weight bias or weight loss diet culture world mm. as a new mum? I feel like the algorithm on my phone's just picked up the fact that I am a new mum. So I started to just get so many different, you know, ads marketed at new mums. And I feel like my social media, when I just opened the app, it was inundated with just different weight loss programs or weight, you know, accounts that Gosh. were kind of promoting and marketing to new mums mm. about, you know, losing weight or often disguised through health, like improve, you know, focusing on health, but actually you just mean lose weight. So sneaky marketing as well as just the explicit marketing. And mm. I just, it kind of just hit me in the face a little bit, you know, just how much actually happened um like it's like they know I've started taking pictures of a baby or something on my phone I don't know it just kind of started on my mind. I feel like like since I turned 43 um all of a sudden I must be in like the market to about perimenopause or oh, yeah. weight gain um and <laughs> I've found like just in the last few weeks that my feed which might be coming into summer as well has been inundated with the weight loss for menopause or weight loss for belly fat belly yes belly fat. Um, and it's something oh, like oh, not interested report not interested not interested not interested <laughs> like, oh, and, it just- and the problem with you, I was I was like oh this is a thing I need to sort of knows out there because it's going to be impacting my clients so I'd click on a couple and have a little look and then be like oh now you think now you think I want more of this now they send you more (laughs) (laughs) you must have been so so shocked like you curated your algorithm to be like wait it's like where is all this coming from exactly and I think the fact that I hadn't used social media and you know I'm not really active on there as much anymore just because I have had to prioritize other things and so I think because I haven't been on there too it 
opened the algorithm up to push even more things. And every time I see that, I just think of, you know, if I if this was me ten years ago, how I how I would have responded to that, or anybody else in that, you know, that hasn't kind of been introduced to the non diet approach and mm-hmm. doesn't have that basic oh, understanding cool. of yeah, just how that would happen. I feel like it even starts in pregnancy, really, which you know, the systemic issues in healthcare, like systemic weight bias in healthcare and how health professionals would, I've just heard horror stories Mm. of experiences of pregnant people going to, you know, their checkups and getting weighed and if they might have a diagnosis of gestational diabetes or something, all of the kind of weight stigma attached to that. And I feel like I reflected on a lot because when I was pregnant, I had really bad nausea throughout my whole pregnancy, just it eased, but it didn't go away. And that really naturally affected what I felt like eating. I just wanted a lot of carbohydrates and I just, you know, just. A lot of cheeseburgers for me. Yeah, just (laughs) honour the cravings and honour what you feel like. But I kept thinking about, you know, Mel 10, 20 years ago, how I was stressing out that you weren't having your green juice and your. Exactly. (laughs) And then that would have just been reinforced by everything that you see everywhere, even just turning on, you know, the morning show or something Mm -hmm. and then seeing something to reinforce that internal message. And then again, when, you know, I'd given birth and I was lucky enough to be able to breastfeed and just, well, not lucky enough, but I, that worked for me. And um, just my hunger. Oh my goodness. Oh, sorry. Oh my goodness! I know, middle of the night, dying. Oh my gosh, never experienced hunger. I used to like get a banana next to my bed, so if I woke up hungry in the night, but didn't have to get up for a baby, you have to I get up, get up right to eat. So I'd be like, get a banana and then back to sleep. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's just a different, deep hunger. Yeah. I've it's never experienced before. And again, just honored all of those, you know, I was making breast milk, my body was recovering from, you know, a traumatic experience. Like it's just honoring all of that without a second thought. But I all constantly just kept reflecting on how I would have, you know, yeah. handled yeah. 10, 20 years ago and how others might, you know, and then once again going onto social media and getting bombarded by these messages while having this intense hunger. And, and it would be so stressful. Yeah. And my, um, when I was breastfeeding for all the three of mine, like first few weeks, first six weeks, he's like way I was mm. like, and then really fickle. Like if I did want to go, like was a bit busy, was working, or I tried to go like do a bit more exercise, or get into some more exercise, mm. my supply would just be like whoop. And because yeah. it was more important, I was like, okay, I just, I just can't go. Yep. I've just got to be really careful. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I've actually got to reduce my movement. Um, Because as much as it's all like, you know, supply, demand, and all of that, for me, it was just like, whoop, goodbye. Yeah, you notice the difference. Um, totally yeah, notice the difference. Yeah. Um, think about the advice too, the very specific calorie oh, advice. Oh, you actually need this much extra more. Yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't think that's right. My body is not telling me that. <laughs> you know, and the same happens during pregnancy. Oh, you only need this much. It's mm-hmm. only this many extra you serves. You nutrients. You're not eating more calories. Yes, that was the one that I... <laughs> no no that did not apply sorry computer says no <laughs> exactly. yeah. it's but again you can only really withstand oh, so many of those messages and keep going with your body cues absolutely if you have that place of trust um in exactly your, and not freaking out or not not weigh yourself just going, oh i haven't got my baby weight lots of inverted commas happening yeah. here 
Um, Completely. And that internal stress and pressure and guilt that you, you know, when you're adjusting to such a change anyway, you don't need to be working through those oh, kind of feelings. No. Yeah. I wish I was from one of those cultures where they just make you stay in bed and bring your food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's fine, but I'm like, cakes or something. Is it <laughs> But unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I, had to make my own food. I know. <laughs> I know. Smart. Like just care rest and culture. Rest and it's yeah, so important. Yeah. Healing, healing. Your body's healing. Mm. And so how do you think um I guess you coming to this very confident sort of non-diet body trust place has impacted how you feed your little one? Oh, well, I've just absolutely loved the feeding process just so much it's just brought me so much joy and it's brought her so much joy even daycare now she goes to daycare two days a week and they call food her happy place like she just (laughs) she just loves she just yeah she just lights up and um yeah I've just really enjoyed that whole experience of seeing her try things for the first time and um constantly just seeing kind of your hungerfulness in its purest form and what I mean by that is just like uninterrupted and unaffected and not inundated by anything just she's she'll tell me when she's hungry and she'll stop when she's full and I know it's more complex like that than that when we you know are adults but it's well not you know as kids too but it's just seeing that in her has just been fascinating and then comments from other people I've just been hyper aware and sensitive of comments, well-meaning comments. Yes. From from people, oh, you couldn't still be hungry. Like just things mm. like that. Oh, you but you've already eaten your lunch, or like comments like that. Yeah. No. Yeah, let's not undermine this amazing yeah. trust that she has in her body yeah. to exactly. know how to care for it with food. Exactly. So and just nothing, being, I was gonna say there's nothing quite like it, you know, when you are feeding a child. And that the the enthusiasm when they're actually quite hungry and really ready for it. And then when they're done mm. and they are they're so done. like, yeah. right, that's it, you know, the head turns. Yes. Like, okay, right, good. We're done. Okay. You sure? <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Things <laughs> and on, end up on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's your fault, Mum. You you yeah. and I was done and it's now on the floor. <laughs> and I, I certainly wish that I had been earlier to I guess the more Ellen Satter stuff. Yeah. So with my eldest, it was a little bit more it's my job to make sure you eat right. And and you know, a lot of it was in what similar stuff around predictability and routine mm-hmm. and all yeah. of that. Um but there was certainly more worry than they needed to oh, be, and a little bit definitely. more pressure yeah. um, than they needed to well, be. And look, his that's how I came across Ellen Satter. I back in the old um, mm. eating disorder interest group email, not eating disorder. Sorry, just the, oh, the, yeah, the, the, the email. emails. I remember like posting yeah. an email query about like my fussy child. Mm. And somebody, I think it was a dietitian from South Australia, goes, "Oh, you need to read Ellen Satter," and it was just like. Oh, so good. Well, there goes my world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. She's 18 and a half now. <laughs> she's a really good eater. Really good. <laughs> oh, well, she's a really good eater. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, it's just so fascinating kind of seeing that feeding process too where, you know, she's kind of at the age now where, you know, 
she things do end up on the floor and obviously she doesn't want to eat everything all the time but just you know gently offering it and having it on her plate and sometimes she'll touch it sometimes she'll smell it sometimes it'll touch her lips and then get put down Mm -hmm. again sometimes it ends up on the floor and sometimes she eats it and I just find it fascinating just to kind of watch it and I also feel really lucky that I've come from that that non-diet space in to this because I feel like I would have approached it so differently I would have definitely had a lot of stress if she hadn't eaten her meal that day or if she you know the the lower hungry day when she's not as hungry like there would have been stress around that so I just feel grateful that I've kind of come from that place too yeah 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 Yeah, it really does infuse all areas doesn't it Mm. Um, just different way of looking at things well we should probably finish up just keep another time thank you so much for chatting to us today uh, that's been really oh just lovely to catch up with you as well oh, thank so you really so good. much <laughs> um, and we you know when you're yeah when your research is good to go we'll definitely uh get you back on um and i know you're not doing a lot of social media but where could people find you and scroll back through your amazing stuff that you were doing six years ago <laughs> yeah that's right where could people find you um if they want to sort of stay in touch with your research and um with what you are doing yeah so my handle on instagram is eaten underscore balance which i would like to change but that's what it is at the moment and (laughs) anyway and then if you are on LinkedIn, feel free to connect because I do post a lot of re- more research-related things right. on LinkedIn. So that's just Melissa Eaton. Um, I probably use that more these days just because the PhD has taken a bit of focus. And I also have a website that's still live, melissaeaton.com.au. So there are some old blogs on there that explore different topics. Yeah. Um, cool. Definitely needs an upgrade, my website, but, yeah. All the <laughs> on the list. On there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can chat to our other guest, Nina. So oh. she's all over that. Yeah, okay. non-diet diet do that. who runs Butter Digital, um, yeah. doing like non-diet website and copy. Oh and- my gosh, I need oh. that so much. When oh, I have my PhD, done. I'm going <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah. 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 Well, have a wonderful day. Um, thanks again for chatting to us, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you both so much for having me. An honour to be get invited. Oh. <laughs> oh, so good to have you.